1: We call it Epcot, will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast, taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was, and the way it is in your
0: memories. So tonight we'd like to welcome Jim Sarno to the show. He was a, uh, a model builder and uh, over at, uh, at Disney. And uh, we're going to talk about a lot of his uh, different inner workings uh, at Epcot and, uh, and other portions of, uh, of uh, Walt Disney World over his career. So, uh, Jim, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here.
0: So, Jim, to kick it off with uh, all of uh, you know, our listeners here, maybe you could give us a little background on you know how you got into Disney and uh, the story behind that.
1: You know, like any Disney fan, I'm sure you guys feel the same way. I mean, five years old, I go to Disneyland and all I can think is, well, I know what I want (laughs) to do. You know, I, I think people go there and don't realize that that's a career that you can head into. And I think especially for me, because I had ears that stuck out. I was tormented by the school kids. And of course, my name was Dumbo.
3: So when I get
1: to Disneyland and I see Dumbo there and everybody loves him and all the other characters have big ears. And I said, well, I definitely belong here. (laughs) So that's how the dream began. And then I went on to college and I studied toy design, which I realized was all in New York. And I was a California kid, even though I was born in Chicago. And I said, well, what else could I do? And I got into the studios and I started with Sid and Marty Croft. You remember H&R Puffin and stuff? And oh, yeah. And- oh, we, wow.
2: I mean, I was raised on
1: those shows. So, <laughs> yeah, okay. the, so every- the guy, the, the guy who hired me was, um, and I'm blanking out on his name right now, uh, Ken Forsey. Do you know that name? Do not know that name. Okay, very involved at Disney, at uh, Disneyland, doing the Country Bear Jamboree. Okay. And he was back in the old times in the model shop. And he was the head of the model department at Sid and Marty Croft. And he is the man who embedded Teddy Ruxpin.
2: Ah.
1: Okay, so he got that idea from working on Country Bear Jamboree. Said, wouldn't it be great if kids had their own talking teddy bear? So while I'm working for him at Sid and Marty Croft, he is working on Teddy Ruxton. And when he got that off the ground, he said, Jim, you'll be coming to work with me when this happens. And sure enough, it was a big success. So that was my start. Uh, From there, I went to Hanna-Barbera, worked on the characters there, and then went to the Muppets, worked on their full-size costumes. And because of my work at Hanna-Barbera, and the Muppets knowing how to do full-size costumes, there was an ad in the paper for a job at Maple, and it was doing fiberglass body parts for the animatronics. Ah, okay. Actually, uh, Ken had set up an interview for me with the model shop years before, and I had the interview. They were waiting for the contract with Tokyo Disney. kept getting delayed, and they had told me, you're going to be hired. We want you. Never happened. So years later, I see this ad for MAPO. I said, ah, I can make body parts. That's my <laughs> way in. <laughs> so there I began with fiberglass. And if you know fiberglass, it is torture. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and uh, my boss there was Rick Golding. And every day he'd come by, Jim, how do you like your job? How you like, cause in the interview, he said, you look like you belong in the model shop, not in MAPO. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't think there were any jobs in the model shop. So I said, Oh no, no, I love fiberglass. (laughs) So (laughs) every day he would ask me, I would say, Oh, I love my work. I love it. Uh, One day at lunch, I wandered over to the model shop and (laughs) like any of us, it was a kid in a candy store. There they are with the Epcot model and everybody's building these fun little miniatures. And I just said, Wow. He's right. I belong in the mall. <laughs> <So, laughs> I, uh, I took his advice. I actually talked to Maggie Elliott, who was the uh, manager there. And she said, I'd like to hire you. You look like you've got the skills we need. And she says, so where are you now? And I said, Mapo, she says, Oh, sorry. I can't touch you. Your union can't bring you over here. So back to my fiberglass work. And I said, if Rick asked me one more time, I'm going to have to tell him what I'm thinking. Huh. So sure enough, he asked. And I said, well, you know, as at the model shop. Maggie would like to hire me. Can't do it. He says, come with me. Took me to his office. Made a call to her. And he looked at me. He said, you're not to breathe a word of this, but on Monday, you report to the model shop. I got you in there.
2: Uh, <laughs> fantastic.
1: And that's yeah. Talk about a magical experience. So uh, if you can think it, you can do it. So I don't want to I don't feel I
2: feel like we shouldn't rush past Teddy Ruxpin because that was such a breakthrough yeah. item. It's not yeah, Disney, it, but that was such a big deal when when well, that came it, out.
1: It, Yeah, it was the beginning of that toy of the year kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it was so related to Disney because the originator worked on Country Bear and that was his thinking. I'm going to make a teddy bear that kids can hold and that can sing and talk. And it was all based on his experience working on Country Bear Jamboree. Oh, that's amazing. Just, a little known unknown connection there. Yeah,
2: I did not know that. Uh, I, I, I've seen yeah. tear downs of it, and it's just so you know mechanically complicated with all the the gears and things. But you know, it worked. It just
1: that's it worked. It worked. That year,
0: that, that was about what eighty three, eighty four, or was it a little uh, later than
1: that? About maybe eighty five, because eighty five. Okay. I left, okay. uh, left wed in eighty four, and it happened a year or so later. And I was there sculpting the characters. So Teddy, Grubby, the little fobs. And then we sent over to Asia for all the interior parts, all the electronics and computerized work. So that was all sent over there and then brought back. And off it went. And this was from Ken working in his garage on Little Teddy Bear.
2: Wow, that's amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, built an empire with an idea from, uh, that he got from working at WED.
2: How cool. And then um, yeah. your your costumes, were, were those used at King's Island, the ones that you did for Hanna-Barbera, or were they used in other I, places as well?
1: I'm sure they were there. They were here at Marineland. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so we were doing the full-size costumes of all the characters, Scooby-Doo and... Flintstones and I saw, Hong Kong food. I just
2: say, I saw that picture of the Hong Kong Fui costume, and I was like, Oh, god, I wish I would have seen this because I, I yeah. love as bad as that show was, I loved it when I was a kid. So,
1: I mean, well, you know, when you're a kid and you see all those things, and then you grow up and you realize, I get to go in this place where they make these things, and oh. I'm gonna do it. It was like a dream come true.
2: Yeah, I mean the so, the whole Sid Marty Croft thing too. I mean those were those guys were titans and still are. I mean they're on producing television still today. So yeah,
1: yeah, it's amazing. So they, they knew what they were doing. Yeah.
0: So I, I um before we open the show, Jim, you know I, I mentioned how the Land Pavilion Fountain um is really one of the things that we really want to focus on and talk about tonight. Uh, it's something okay. that uh, not only ourselves uh, but our listeners. And uh, everybody else uh, you know fondly remembers is such a centerpiece to the center of that pavilion. Um, so uh, for those listening who do not remember when you used to go into the land pavilion down the in the very uh, bottom of where there was the food court, uh, what was it called Brian? the har- was it the harvest festival harvest? the okay. farm market Far- the farmer's, farmers market
1: market. market. Yes. Yeah. Yeah
0: there was this wonderful all white fountain um, with, a, with a blue rim around the base and uh, it just really set, set off the place. So Jim, maybe you can give us a little bit of uh, information about that, uh, how it got started and, and the whole process of, of making that. And uh, maybe if you know where it ever went.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, I've heard rumors of where it went. I hope it's in storage somewhere. But it all began when I found my way into the model shop. And my first day, Maggie said, come with me. And I went to meet with Roly Crump and Walt Paraguay. Now, I didn't know who these people were, but I had a feeling they were big shots since they were located <laughs> in what we called the Gold Coast, where all the head designers were. And I was invited to meet them. And uh, we had a short little meeting. Uh, they explained what the fountain was. Walt had done a little two-dimensional drawing of what the idea would be with the four food groups and uh, the design was very simple, but very thorough. Roley was in charge of everything. Walt was in charge of the fountain specifically, as well as the balloons that rode up above it and uh, many things in the land pavilion, including the outside mosaic. So there began my relationship with Walt and Roley. And when I came out of the meeting, Maggie said, well, how to go? And I said, well, I'm a little shocked that you're bringing me in to do such a giant project, especially with these guys. She said, well, you said you wanted to be in the model shop. Let's see what you can do. Nice. So there was my, there was my challenge right off the bat. Trial was, by fire. Okay. Yeah, exactly. She was going to, she said, make it or break it. And if you can't handle this, you don't belong in the model shop. So the challenge was on, and the great relationship with both Rolly and Walt began there. That's cool.
2: So, did you start? Uh, so, did you start with a small-scale model of that, and then uh, eventually work up to the full-size one, or what was your process?
1: Yeah, that's always how we did it. We started, and of course, you probably know that Disney worked very differently than anyone else in design. Uh, many design firms do their drawings, their scale models. Everything is done prior to building where we were, we worked in reverse. We built the model. He wanted to see what would happen physically and three-dimensionally. And then if it worked out, then drawings were made after for the building of whatever ride you were working on. So uh, we worked with a green foam, somewhat like florist foam, a little more rigid. Okay. And I began with that in a dome shape, cutting it into the eight sections that it was, and then sculpting in it with little sculpting tools to get the fish and the different designs that Walt had drawn on the small piece of paper I got. So that is how it began. Then it was coated with a resin, and then we color lit it to see how things were going to work. And the whole idea was that top trough or dish was going to catch the water and then trickle down and create these patterns as it fell down into the larger bowl
2: nice so so that's it so yeah. all the little carvings into it then would sort of make the water go in different
1: places as it hit yes. it and then roll down nice exactly nice so that had to be part of the consideration as i sculpted that i needed to realize that when the water was flowing to make sure that it the The edges were not curved too much, or there wasn't too sharp a cliff for the water to splash so there's so there was a lot involved with the balance of it and then the design allowing the water to flow down beautifully.
2: That's so cool
1: <laughs> yeah, and the way it, like, it was
2: i it was I a, think I saw a picture of the the um it must have been a the model that was lit that I've never seen before. Yeah. That looks so good. Yeah.
1: Oh my God. It looks so good. Well, I know. I, I think if they would have done it with those colors, it would have been amazing. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, that was all done with, with this rigid foam. And there's an interesting story because uh, the top was designed, I think you may have seen the picture that had the color lit model with kind of an abstract shape on top. Yeah. And. Uh, we did these models, and then Marty Scalar, John Hench would come in and evaluate what they thought and give you their input. Well, it happened to be a day that Walt wasn't in, and so it was Marty, John, and myself. And they said, well, we love it. I think it's going to work, but we don't like the top. We'd like another idea. And I said, okay. They said, can you do something by tomorrow? Well, that's how things happened there. <laughs> so I took a block of foam home with me into the shower, pulled the curtain and carved away (laughs) because this foam would float all over the place. But I knew this was my chance to do something that would wow them the next day. So I thought, well, we're talking about food and vegetables. I'm gonna make somewhat of a leaf pattern. And so I did, and the next day they said, that's it, we're done, let's go on with the full size.
3: Wow. And uh,
1: so then from that model, Then uh, a metal sculpture or armature is built, uh, which was welded together. And then slabs of white styrofoam were laid on top. And each of the eight sections were independent. They they rolled around. And then I laid up clay on top of that to then sculpt what I had done in the miniature. Oh,
2: my gosh. So you ended up doing the full-size sculpt as well as you had the whole thing
1: then from beginning to end. (laughs) <laughs> it, it was very unique in that usually you did the model and then it was sent out for somebody else to fabricate. Right, um, right. Somehow they were, they were happy. Walt and I were hitting it off. A lot of people had a hard time working with Walt. And somehow he and I hit it off. And his designs and my sculpting all worked really well together. So I, you're probably familiar with Blaine Gibson. Yes the head sculptor there at the studio. And he had heard that I was doing this fountain and he came to Maggie and he said, you know, I'm glad you're doing this, but this really is in my department. And I think Jim should move over to my department and work on it there. Well, I didn't have a lot of sculpting background, but uh, somehow he and Maggie worked it out that I would stay in the model shop and that he would come over and work with me and make sure I was doing it properly. So what a treat that I got to work under Blaine as well. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, quite a project. Uh, I don't know if you heard about this and I never spoke of it, but I will now, Uh, you know, in those days, nobody's name went on anything. Right. Right. Yeah. Nobody knew, nobody knew who did anything. And I had heard stories of little secret things (laughs) that were done And I said, well, I'm Italian, and we do like credit for what we do. (laughs) (laughs) I said, now, how am I going to do this? And I never even told Walt about this. But in the fish panel, with all these curves, I said, I'm sure I can design Sarno into this about six feet across, and nobody will know. (laughs) So... A little-known secret is that I carved my last name in the fish panel because I needed to go there and know that I knew my name was on the thing. It's funny because I, I
0: think whatever. how how we've only learned that there's there's very few places where that's made it in. I, I believe we 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 spoke of the Fort Wilderness uh, map uh, has has the name in there, and and, and Jim telling us about this. So. Uh, how can you think of any others? That we
2: yeah, so Well, I mean, the only places that we know that, pe- that people were officially allowed to do it were like Mary Blair's right. name yes. and other credits on the tiled mural in the uh, in the contemporary. Right. And then um, a couple of, um, oh, goodness, Dorothea Redmond. And I forget the gentleman who actually did the tile mm-hmm. work um, in Cinderella's castle and uh-huh they were really the only ones that got to officially have it and then uh at Epcot <laughs> in uh in the uh futurecom the a t and uh, t not the main spaceship earth but like their uh facility with their kind of like uh trade show stuff um uh. there was a theater that was done by a uh a husband and wife team uh of illustrators that was then made dimensional. Uh, a little display called the Age of Information, and they actually named the theater after the artist uh, Eitzel. Mm-hmm. So, so that's very few and far between. That's cool. Now I'm really sad that the fountain is gone because I'd like to go and see it.
0: I'm I'm scouring pictures right now, trying to, first just trying to find the fish, <laughs> and then well, try to make
1: fish it. up at the top. It was funny when I went to the opening. A couple of buddies that worked together, we all went there. And as we were walking around, we heard one of the tour guides training guides, and uh, they pointed out. They said, "Now this is a fountain sculpted. We don't know the artist's name, but we've heard his name is sculpted in the fountain." And <laughs> I could have, I could have run right over and said, yes, it's me!" And here it is. I said, "Jim, just stay quiet. If you say anything, they'll obliterate it." So, right, yeah. I said nothing and it stayed the whole time it was in. Oh, that's fantastic. That's that great. That yeah, great. I'm yeah.
0: going over pictures now. I'm going to I'm determined to to find it. <laughs>
1: I'll have to send you one that I've got a close-up of it
3: so you can oh, see. It. Oh, that be great beautiful. See. That beautiful. Do you have any like little models of the fountain or anything?
1: No, I kept nothing of the model of the fountain so nope i don't have anything it makes me think of uh, smart one which we may talk about or not but when i designed smart one i was smart enough to make a second one. Oh, and, <laughs> so, yes I, so I was, so do you uh, have it i do
0: oh, oh wow wow yeah. Wait, uh, a uh, wait, wait a second. Like, wait a second. Wait, wait, let's sitting just... right by you. Is that, <laughs> <laughs> can, can he still wave to us? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, George McGinnis was the head designer and, and the way it worked was there were the head designers that did the sketches, came up with the ideas, and then they bring them to the model shop. And one day George McGinnis, I guess he, you know, Maggie would assign us to who who's going to work on what. And she said, meet with George. He's got a robot idea. So, I meet with him and he on a napkin, which I'm wondering if I still have that napkin somewhere. He drew a little sketch of smart one and said, can you do something like this? I said, okay, that's my job. So I left work, went to a hardware store, picked up plexiglass, wood, knobs, you name it. And the next day I got to the bandsaw, chopped it all up and made sure I made a second one. And as soon as he saw it, he said, you did this today? I said, I guess it was meant to be and, uh, what I called Robbie the robot became smart one, who I know is having a resurgence of uh, popularity lately. So. Yeah, yes.
0: Yes, he ha- absolutely yeah. has. Uh, um, we, we know somebody who has uh, created a 3D model of smart one. Uh, it was a big topic when we talked about CommuniCore East on, on our CommuniCore East episode. Right. Uh, it came up a lot. There's uh, not a lot of recorded footage and dialogue. More photos have popped up recently. Um, yeah. Still looking for more of the the, the, the dialogue and stuff. So can can you tell us like some of the everyday objects that would be hidden in there? We always wondered what his eyes were and and, and what they were meant to be. We how I think you thought they were supposed to be two tapes, right? Right. Two two reel to reel
1: data tapes. Like reel to reel, and they are actually just a slice of a wooden dowel. <laughs> really? that's what I made out out of the ears are knobs that were like for a dresser. I actually went to a home improvement. I think it was called home improvement store or something like that. Just a typical hardware store. And, uh, the body was a plexiglass tube that I cut as well as the head was a plexi dome and I cut it so that it would have a bit of an angle on it.
0: Right. Um,
1: so all of it is really knobs and cylindrical tubes of plexiglass and the wood and plexiglass glued together to look like this little sketch that George had given me.
0: <laughs> and how, how big yeah. was this?
1: the mock-up that you created? How big was he? The model I made was about a foot tall. Mm-hmm. And oh, then, wow. Uh, you know, the the actual was about two feet or mm-hmm. close to it, I think.
0: Uh, so you... This original one was... Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: No, the original one is the one I did. And then again, uh, when they were pleased with something, then they would take it and do the uh, drafting sketches of it to then right. build the full size.
0: And do we know who, who built the actual full size one? Was that given to, to uh, a different I department?
1: I, yeah, it was given to a different department. It might have gone to Mapo or it might have just uh, went down to Florida. I'm not sure. That's not um, so cool. But usually these things, when they left you, you kind of waited till you saw it uh, on show. It was interesting with the model of the fountain. Um, I'd done the full size. It got shipped out and made in fiberglass cast off of the clay.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And then it was going to be sent to Florida. And that was it. And I said, well, what about the installation? I said, I, you know, I've been on this from the beginning. And Maggie said, no, we have other people working. And I said, look, I really want to go and follow this through to the end. Part of it was, of course, who didn't want to be flown down to Florida to work. Uh, (laughs) But the other part was I had that name that needed to be. (laughs) 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 So at the last minute, she somehow took mercy on me and said, OK, you can go down and follow through and make sure it's installed properly. So she said, we can't get you a commercial flight. It's too late. She says, tomorrow, you're going on the mouse. Nice. Not, oh wow! I didn't know what the mouse was, but I arrived at Burbank airport and, you know, Walt Disney's private jet. So, gee, what a shame they couldn't get me in a <laughs> flight <flood laughs> on the night. You know? So I got to fly down there on the mouse, which was a real highlight of my life. So. That's awesome. That's oh, my awesome. goodness. So, so
0: were you able to ha- hide Sarno there as well? Or is that another, is that a kept secret?
1: No, 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 that, the full size, I, I actually did it in the miniature and then uh-huh. in the full size. I sculpted it in clay and then it was cast. And when I was down there, my plan was I wanted to be front and center with my name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, as it was going in, the guys that are working, they had put me up at Fort Wilderness And then I canoed over to Epcot to work on this. (laughs) So I just go up and I'm I'm telling the guys, no, move it one more panel to the left. And they're bitching and moaning. Why do we have to move this thing? I thought, because when you're on the top and you're looking down at the fountain, I need that fish panel right in the center. (laughs) (laughs) It's got to happen.
2: (laughs) Wait. So just let me, I just want to clarify one thing. So, the, yeah. This entire creation of smart one from sketch to signed off model was literally 24 yeah. hours. That's yeah. insane.
1: That's, that's that insane. Is so cool. It, it surprised, it surprised <laughs> me as well. Things didn't always happen that quick and easy, but this was a no brainer. And somehow you just, you know, sometimes it clicks and this right. did. Well, yeah. that's.
2: I think that's a testament to your talent, sir. So that's right. really what's kind of, that's
1: what that's all about. So I did think you... what's fun is when you, when you surprise yourself. You know, this comes from somewhere else, right? You know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so were you able to get uh, your name in Smart One somewhere?
1: I did um, not put my name, and actually, Smart One was after the fountain, so I don't know why I wasn't thinking. But you know. Um, Things happen as they do. Yeah. So I guess I looked at Smart One and thought, I don't know where I could put my name in that. Yeah. It yeah. was too yeah. slick. You know, it was very polished. So, yeah. so you know what? I think you could probably
2: answer one of my burning Smart One questions. His what's that? His chest is it's like a close up of a printed circuit board. Is that what the idea was?
1: <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Okay. Nice. Yep. Nice. And, you knew.
2: And then I was always trying to figure out if there was. Like the red LED lights was the they're kind of in a distinct pattern, but I was there any was it just that looked nice or was it supposed to be uh, like uh, something in particular?
1: No intention with that at all. Okay. just to make it you know computerized electronic right. and you yeah, know, it was the beginning of things then. So anything to make it look scientific. Okay. Right.
0: Uh, what and, and you said you used d- dowels for the pupils of the eyes. What did you use for the like the reflectors and and the kind of his the, his irises? Was was, was that other off the shelf stuff that you just cut?
1: That was actually just painted on there. And oh, really? When they, just, when they did the full size, they might have used some plexiglass lens. Yeah. Uh, but in the model, it was just painted on the white dowels that were slices of wood, is all. Nice. Wow, oh, that's cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's so that's so really cool. really simple. Very simple.
0: So there's another burning, you know, question out there about Smart One is that, you know, do any recordings of him ever exist or, or, you know, who lent the voice? You know, obviously it was masked with Mm. a fake computer. Uh, Again, it's one of the holy grails that we don't have a lot of that. Do you know anything about anything after it, you know, when it went to installation and and such?
1: Uh, No, I don't know what happened as far as how it was put together with the voice. Mm. Uh, I would think there's got to be something somewhere. And I don't know does Spiri, Spiri Univac are they do they exist any longer? I don't even know. They do. They're they unis they're
3: U- they're Unisys now.
1: Well, they might have some information if nobody else, but I would think that Walt Disney World had to have recorded him from time to time.
0: Yeah, we're we're hoping we're still still looking for stuff. So we do have some information on the fate of him. Um Ah, uh, we did oh. some research on Epcot robots, and uh, I think Brian, you're probably the most well-versed in in some of the Epcot robots, and and where uh, Smart One uh, ended up. So you probably know after they took him out of Epcot, he
3: was taken to the Contemporary Resort where they right. used him as used him as a prop serving drinks.
1: Yes, I heard. That.
3: <laughs> and then, uh, and then at some point while being cleaned, he was dropped or some oh. way dam- damaged by a, uh, by a Disney employee. So mm-hmm. he was taken off stage and eventually the, the fate we understand was they traded him to Florida Robotics uh, mm-hmm. in exchange for, and it's escaping my mind at the moment, what they traded him for. But uh, Florida Robotics got him in exchange for doing some other kind of work for them.
0: They rehabbed
3: him and then sold him on eBay. I <laughs> heard that.
0: Yeah, we have a uh, we had a listener write in and send us uh, the gentleman uh, actually had saved the eBay photos from the listing a number of years ago. So we have on our collection on our website the last known photos of of Smart One. Um, so wow. we'd love to know where he, you know, eventually turned up after that. And the, uh, the search is, is still on. Let's, let's put it that way. We will, we will, we well, will not give up hope.
1: <laughs> no, if anybody out there knows, they need to let us know. So we, that
0: absolutely. That
1: we keep something.
0: asking, yeah.
3: we keep asking, we put out an all points
0: bulletin, but knowing that you have a little one foot model that that's just <laughs> at least we know he's living somewhere you know <laughs> he's, living,
1: he's living with his father who, which i called him Robbie <laughs> the Robot so, we
0: we'd love to set up a he
1: was adopted.
0: we'd love to set up a meeting with you and smart one where you can actually put your name on it finally how cool would that be <laughs> that's
1: right sign oh, it that'd be great okay i'll keep you posted when i put them together he's still he's still in parts and pieces <laughs> <laughs> So um,
0: now we've, we've talked about the fate of Smart One. And um, so what do you know about the, the fountain after, you know, after the, the rehab of, uh, of the land pavilion? Um, did, you, did you hear anything about where that went or if it was kept or, or you know? Uns- well,
1: I knew that the reason they removed it was because Soaring needed their queue line to take up that space. Mm. And so all I know is that it was removed for that reason and then went into storage. But I never... You know, it's not like they let the originator know anything. It it goes into that deep cavern somewhere, and hopefully it exists, but you never know.
2: Mm. That's cool, though, that it actually just, they didn't just come in and destroy it, that it was actually taken apart. No. Yeah, I
1: believe it was. It was all in panels, and it could be, it was all bolted together inside. That's awesome. I I think, yeah, I think they could have stored it in one of the warehouses, maybe to use it somewhere else someday. You never know, it might resurface. Yeah, Yeah. could come back. (laughs) They never, and we'll put smart, we'll put
0: smart one on the top of it. Can you imagine (laughs) that? (laughs)
1: That would be great. Oh,
0: that would be really, really good. So, staying at Epcot a little bit, um, you know, I believe you you worked a little bit on Journey to Imagination as well. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about what what you did over there? And, um, I, I, you know, I'm visualizing your your purple color, and we got a purple dragon. I'm visualizing your white fountain, and I'm visualizing the <laughs> white, all-white scene in, uh, in imagination. So I, I, tell me if I'm right yeah. or wrong.
1: <laughs> no, no, you, you've got a theme going there that I didn't even realize. But again, <laughs> it was this foam that we were using to carve most of our things. And I was asked to do a little grotto where Figment lived. And so it was very small, maybe a foot and a half round. And I think it might have had a mirror base. Um, And it was just a a fern kind of grotto with plants and leaves uh, where where figment lived. And uh, again, done in miniature. And then most of imagination at that time, the whole model was done in white. Everything was painted white. And I don't know if you know, the models were always up at eye level. So Walt Disney's idea was, to build the models up so that as you walk through it, you could see exactly what the guests were going to see and determine if it made sense. Uh, So this was all built up high. You walked through, it was all white, and then lit with colored gels to give it the color. So uh, I worked on that part and also another area and I don't remember what it was, but arches and things that were done in plexiglass. I remember with butterflies and was it the
2: was it the art scene? It.
1: It, I think it was okay. And uh, again, all these things were made with paper, plastic, wood, and then a lot of it, especially in imagination, was color lit, yeah. kind of like we did the same with the fountain,
2: right? What's did Walt uh, pergoy also work on did he do the drawings for those things as well that you worked on so did you continue to work with him in that section
1: yeah the, Walt and I established a, a family friendship uh, I used to call him my art dad and we were very close up until his passing um, Walt was the typical artist that was so passionate about his work and he was different than most artists there and We all understood that Walt Disney had picked him because he was so unique, Uh, but he did not fit the typical Disney designer or imagineer. Uh, But everything that came up, he would ask Maggie, can I have Jim work on this with me? And so we had this wonderful relationship, like I said, that lasted years past our work there. And uh, I worked with him on many different things. So he often would do a little sketch. And then my job was to interpret that into three dimensions.
2: Fantastic. That and that is, you know, that section those two sections that you worked on are probably most people's favorite, I would say. Um that oh. I yeah, that um so I understand that there was there was a more elaborate uh rainbow effect that was supposed to go on there where uh where pigments holding the pot and then the idea was that color would kind of come out yeah. with it and yes. they, I guess they couldn't get that effect to work, but can you imagine today with all the projection mapping, what you could do with that setup? Yeah. I mean, oh my God, it'd be yeah. Cr- crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Almost <laughs> right. every shape could be moving. It's just, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, things were so small that you could do it in miniature, but then when it got large, it faded out and it wasn't as concentrated mm. as you could do today. So it, it would be a whole different look now.
2: Yeah. That's that section was just gorgeous. I mean, do you ever, Again, I have to acknowledge like the quality of the work that you did because to it is Thank not an you. easy thing to take a two dimensional you know drawing your painting and translate it into three dimensions that is a, that is a skill in amongst itself. And I know you bring a lot to the table too. It's not just you're not just copying. it's like you're inventing things as you go along to to really make it work. so
1: right. when I was a kid, i always, I don't know if you remember those tests we used to have with a flattened box and it said, what would the shape look like if you folded it up and put it together? Oh yeah. yeah that, kind of, that kind of stuff came easy to me. So there is something in the mind that's able to translate that. And I think that's a skill that I was born with that three dimension just made sense. I'm, I'm kind of amazed when I see somebody do a realistic painting or two dimensional work, I do some of it, but my forte is in three dimensional work so cool
0: so I, I have an I have another question about your work with Walter and this is uh, you know kind of along the, the lines of the, the signature stuff um, <laughs> so first of all the, the, we've we've stumbled across uh, it came up on um, I believe H a auctions a lot of his early work um, yeah. for, for the land and and some gorgeous gorgeous work especially for the, the outside murals. Um, did he only do the artwork? Did somebody actually lay all the mosaic? Was he there for the laying of the mosaic? And you know, there's also that rumor that you know he didn't like it to be symmetrical. Artists never like that. So there was a one single green stone put on one side. Can you lend any credence to that story? And was he there for that installation? It's you know everybody shows the tile and wants to run up and touch it and all that. But yeah, you being close to him, maybe you know the the, the truth behind it.
1: We were down there together. So I was doing the installation of the fountain while he was outside working with, I believe it was a couple from somewhere in Europe
3: Mm -hmm. that was
1: doing the actual work. And Walt was right there, uh, you know, suggesting different stones. And he was totally involved with that from his sketch to the installation all the way through. That's cool. So um, that was a beautiful work of art that he was very proud of. Yeah. 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 That's a beauty.
0: So do you know if he put that green stone in, was that his idea or was that the other artists?
1: I don't know if I heard that, but I'll tell you, I don't think anything would have gotten past what he wanted (laughs) (laughs) because he was there. He was there purposely to make sure that what he wanted was what was accomplished. Right. Right. So they were the laborers that did a beautiful job, but it was his design and what he wanted is what happened. Uh,
3: staying in the land pavilion for a second uh do you know if there's any truth to the story out there that one of those balloons fell to the floor a few days <laughs> before the park opened
1: i didn't hear anything like that um i think i would have if it had happened
3: yeah that that's my I, thought
1: yeah yeah that that would have been a, a major they i don't think they could have fixed it or reproduced that within a few days. Those they were big and I doubt that happened. It may could have happened months before, but not days before. Okay. He did so much in the land pavilion. One a beautiful thing he did was the four uh Japanese kimono women that were by the restaurant upstairs. And they were the four seasons. And I actually have some of the sketches that he did for those. Oh wow! Um, I was fortunate enough to acquire a really large collection of his work from the early '50s all the way up to his last drawings. So,
3: wow.
1: um, those Japanese kimono pieces are with me. So I'm, I feel glad to have those. Yes,
2: he uh, and he also did the he uh, he did the designs of the um, the wall the car- wall carpet in the um, symbiosis pre-show area too, right? Is that, yeah. is that correct? Okay. That is, I believe
1: he did. Um, I don't, Have you heard the word Anne Malmolin, the name?
2: Yes, I think so.
1: She did a lot of the carvings that were throughout the land pavilion. And I'm blanking out on another woman um, that did a lot of the designs that may have included that carpet. Okay. Uh, if I think of her name, I'll mention her. I, but, you know, um, I
2: know I've got that buried somewhere because i think we okay. we're a little friendly with tom k morris and i want to say he gave us her name uh at one point as well uh as being the person who had worked on that yeah and i can't remember who it was
1: but <laughs> i believe her last name is woodward okay she was married to joff g-e-o-f-f-e and like I say, I can't remember her first name, but she was very involved with a lot of the designs for land pavilions, for the carpets, the walls, a lot of that.
2: Great. Okay. Thank you. Uh,
3: I'm All I'm right. gonna I'm gonna jump out of Disney for a moment, but Disney related. You worked on Treasure Island Casino and the pirate show there. Did you do that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I sure did. So um, you got
3: you got to work with our friend Bob Gurr?
1: Yes. Uh, I did, and I wish I could remember the head designer there, but I can't remember his name. But, of course, uh, Steve Wynn wanted, you know, a a pirate idea, like Pirates of the Caribbean. So he wanted Disney artists. And I was working for Dave and Conradine Holtz, who had the contract to put all of the pirate-esque look to Treasure Island. And they had gone shopping uh, all over Europe, um, trying to think of some of the places they went. But they purchased everything, sent it to a warehouse in Vegas, and then they had to go work in the Middle East on a um, an amusement park and called me and said, Jim, can you take this over? So, you know, it's not far. I was living in Monterey at the time. I flew back and forth and piratized Treasure Island and just uh, <laughs> made maps and journals and cannons and jewels and the whole bit. So that was a fun, exciting project. Something I wanted to mention. I don't know if I have much reference in my portfolio or on my site about Harriet Burns. You're familiar with her? Yes, Yes. indeed. Well, when I was put in the model shop by Maggie, the place I was right, was right next to Harriet. And I had no idea who she was. She was a sweet, southern lady who was so prim and proper and there i was later i found out that i was in the same workspace that fred Jirger had been in yeah do you know who he is yes i do okay so this ties a lot of people together but um fred and harriet were very close and also walt Paraguay as well as blaine okay. so it was very much like a family at this time so being next to harriet and working with Walt, I got to meet all these wonderful people that became like family. Nice. Uh, and Harriet at the time, <laughs> she, she, I had any of you met her? No, unfortunately
2: do? we, we never, um, I think she passed what in the nineties. Is that, I'm trying to remember uh, now. It's been about it's been about eight years, okay, maybe a little okay. longer. So we didn't get started and, uh, until unfortunately until after and th- and that's why we're so desperate to do this is like we realize it's like we've got to get out there and start talking to yeah. people before we miss our chance.
1: <laughs> well you know it was wonderful when I was there. All the old timers were there to fulfill Walt's last dream. So they all came back to do this one last project. And how fortunate for my timing to be in there to meet all these people and hear all the stories. But of course, working right next to Harriet, we became fast friends (laughs) and stories upon stories. And we became very, very close. So we worked together and then the friendship carried on after even more. And, uh, there was a book that her daughter put together and, uh, they actually asked me to speak at her funeral to talk about what it was like to work with Harriet. And, uh, She was a -a one-of-a-kind person that was so creative and so fun and charming and actually started with Fred Jurger at the very beginning of Disneyland. Uh, And there's so many stories about her. But one good one was when they were redesigning Disneyland's storybook. Uh, Some of our workers went down there. They were taking out all the original pieces and making them in fiberglass so they'd hold up. And so they brought back the windmills that were in storybook land that Harriet had made back in the 50s. And they said, Harriet, we're throwing this stuff out, and we know it's original Disneyland. You have to have these. And she politely thanked them. And as soon as they left, she goes, Jim, what do I want with this? (laughs) (laughs) I said, Harriet, that's original Disneyland. Nobody has anything like that. She goes, you can have them. So she gave them to me. And um, there were things that would happen. She was going to work on an animation desk. So they brought her an animation desk. It was from the warehouse, filthy, dusty. I said, Harriet, let me clean it up for you. So I'm wiping it down. I pull out a drawer, and these little sketches I sent you guys a shot of uh, the way I framed them. These little thumbnail sketches of pirates oh. fell out. I think uh, five or six of them. She Said Harriet, look what was in here. She goes, oh my gosh, that was Mark Davis's desk. <laughs> and she said, those have been hiding in there for thirty years. Wow. I said, well, I'm going to take them and I'll ask him to sign them. You know. Oh, she goes, don't you dare. If you bring them to him, he'll say they're his. She <laughs> says, you found them. Nobody knows they were there. You get to keep them. <laughs> she passed on a lot of beautiful one of a kind things. Uh, let alone the friendship we had was just, she was one of the dearest people I'd ever known. So to, uh, to not mention how wonderful it was to work with her as well as many others.
2: That's so nice to hear.
1: Harriet was a jewel, uh, one of a kind for sure.
2: I did hear, even though she was prim and proper, that sometimes her and Fred could (laughs) get some, some dirty
1: jokes going. Oh yes. In fact, at one time she said to me, Jim, uh, I used to have a friend where we'd send dirty cards on our birthdays to each other. She says, Would you like to do that with me? <laughs> so, so, in a very funny way, I began to be her friend in, in the current time. And she started calling me funny little nicknames. And when she had passed away, I helped the family go through her things and help them understand what things were. And I can't even remember what the name, the nickname, she was giving me, but I found cards from Fred to her that had the same name on it, oh. and I went, "Wow!" <laughs> I, I mean, you never know these things, and then all of a sudden, you go, "Wow!" I became him to her. Wow! And, Amazing. Uh, yeah, she was prim and proper, but she could tell the best dirtiest jokes, <laughs> and she was a prankster that just she couldn't stop playing with people. And uh, she loved everybody. Um, she was an amazing woman. Uh, I went to visit her when she had moved to Montecito. And she had just gotten a, a brand new piano. And I said, Harriet, I didn't know you played. She goes, oh, yes. I considered being a concert pianist, but I went into the arts. So she said, sit here on the couch. So I sit down and she goes into the kitchen. She comes out and she starts playing on the piano, but she's got a tray of appetizers she's playing on the piano and i'm like amazed she gets up from the piano to serve me some hors d'oeuvres and the piano's still going (laughs) (laughs) she had bought a player piano and her big treat was planning this gag on me (laughs) and you fell for every joke she told (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. oh that's great amazing lady gosh but you know the artwork working for them was amazing but the people were like people you would never meet
0: yeah you certainly did get to work with uh, quite a variety of uh you know of people and and you know we, we put you up there with them because i think the work that you've done you know at the land and journey and 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 community car, just all, all awesome stuff so you know we really i think everybody who listens appreciates you know the work that you did and the style and and everybody's effort that went into creating all that stuff. And yeah, I wish we could say that smart one was still there and your fountain was still there, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it's living no, on, trust were. me. <laughs> they were for a
1: time. Now I move on to other
2: weird little one-off projects that you ended up doing. I know you also did some stuff for, um, it looks like new Fantasyland land as well at, at Disneyland when they redid that.
1: Yeah. Well, like I mentioned to you, my nickname was Dumbo and I identified with him my whole life <laughs> mm-hmm. and one of the first projects in the model shop besides the fountain was to redesign the Dumbo ride. And I thought, how ironic is that? <laughs> and uh they said we want it to look like a Geppetto toy with a big key that you wind up this toy. So my job was to build the model for the new Dumbo ride. Nice. Which was uh, you know what an honor when that that name was so important to me. Uh I also worked on uh the Tinkerbell toy shop designing Uh, palm trees in there. Oh, and a really interesting thing was designing the landing platform for Tinkerbell. Oh, yeah, this this was I mean, it was a simple little project, but the story with it is wonderful. Uh, She landed back by Thunder Mountain. And it was up in the pine trees. And it was a simple wood platform that actually had a mattress because she, it was a free fall that she was on with that wire. <laughs> and they gave me the whole script, which I have somewhere about how you handle Tinkerbell when she lands. And it, the whole story about Tinkerbell is very interesting because she was a recluse. She was an older woman who just came out every day by bus to the park to do her flight. And so to design this platform where she landed and I'm reading the script that says, now, when Tinkerbell lands, you tell her what an amazing flight she did tonight. And the crowds were crazy. And so there's this whole script about what you would say to her when she landed on this platform. Uh-huh. So uh, there were, there was always something crazy and fun going on in that shop. And everybody was like a bunch of kids playing together. And you would never know that such things would be created from such a crazy fun atmosphere, but maybe that's exactly what people think happened. And it really did.
2: You know, I bet that fun just spilled into the, into the design work. I think that's the thing. So, you know, yeah. it's infectious. It started at the beginning and it works all the way out into the park. And when you, when you are out there experiencing it, it's like all of that energy, you know, is, is still there. And yeah. Coming out to you.
1: Yeah. And you know, there was an atmosphere of family. We were, we were all, we were these quirky little kids that stayed at home and played with art. And all of a sudden you're an adult and you're working for the greatest company with all these amazing people. And you're all, you found your tribe where you think alike, you got quirky little things and you found the people that are like you. So it it was an atmosphere like nowhere else.
3: One of the observations we always make about Epcot is it was kind of the, uh, the, the, that, that mid early to mid eighties period was like the apex of Imagineering where you had the, mm-hmm. the all, all of the original generation coming in for one last mission coupled yes. with coupled with the best of the second generation, the Tony Baxter's and guys like that, mm-hmm. that, that, that contributed. And and so there's just this era of pristine stuff. And plus you had the initial original management there and then the second half of the 80s, with a lot of these people still involved, you had that new second wind in there with Eisner and Wells and all this yeah. investment. And, and you just got great stuff. And hearing, yeah. the sto- hearing the stories you're telling, you're right. It's exactly how we imagined Imagineering was back then.
1: It, it was everything that you would think. It was just a fun palace where we got so much done but it was all done and fun and playful. And we had a great time, you know, of the Disney uh, museum up at up in the Bay area. Yes. Uh, Because of Harriet, I got to know her family and they're still very connected with uh, the Disney family. And so I was invited for uh, one of their movies about the family films of Walt Disney's family. So I was introduced to Diane Disney and I was talking with her and she wanted to know what my part had been. And I told her about Harriet and she autographed her book to me. And she said, I am so envious. What fun you must have had. I always (laughs) wanted to work with Harriet. Oh my! So to hear Walt Disney's daughter, tell me she's envious of me when who wouldn't have wanted to be Walt Disney's child. (laughs) And her dream was that she could have been in that shop creating all the fun stuff.
3: That's really great. Can can you tell me what you did
1: with the Muppets? Uh with the Muppets um I worked with Mae Knega at Hanna-Barbera. And of course we were doing the full-size costumes for all their characters. She had got a contract with Jim Henson and she was doing it in LA shipping it I'm not even sure where it went, but the contract was to do the full-size costumes for the Sesame Street live shows.
2: And because we were
1: already doing that, I got to work on all the characters and build those with her and a couple other guys that the four of us worked together. And then those went all over the country doing the Sesame Street live shows.
3: Um, I'm curious if they still used your design uh, when they brought the full sized Muppets to Disney MGM Studios after they signed the agreement in 1990 with Henson. Cause they had them there uh, doing meet and greets and stage appearances and stuff for a couple of years back then in the early nineties.
1: I would think at that time they did when we originally at Hanna-Barbera, we were making these heads on a neoprene, which is kind of a heavy rubber. And the worst part of it was that there was no ventilation. So we switched from this heavy neoprene, which was like a liquid rubber that would set up in these plaster molds. And so the group I worked with, we came up with forming. So taking a sheet of plastic, dropping it over a mold that was half of the head and you would trim it and then glue it together. And then what we did was drill large holes. So we made a plastic form of say Fred Flintstone and then all these large holes were covered with foam rubber. And then the person inside could breathe. Nice. So that was what our contribution was. And that's why the Muppets was interested because we were making a new costume that didn't torture <laughs> the poor <laughs> uh, actor that was inside where they were sweating to death, you know? And they're great uh, looking so, characters. Oh, you know, when you've got characters like that to work with, your design is just trying to make it exactly as it's supposed to look. And, you know, the challenge of what materials making sure the colors are just right and you know with my kind we're all very very picky and very meticulous about making it exactly as it's supposed to be
3: yeah yeah so we've got a good snapshot of you in the 80s and 90s uh what have you done since
1: well i i had lived in the burbank area and then i moved up to monterey actually i went to work at burbank airport uh with united airlines and after my career in the studios i said well that dream was fulfilled. What's next? And I wanted to travel the world. So part-time worker at the airport and I traveled all over the world while I still did art projects when I was called like Petty Ruxpin and other things I got called back to do. And then I moved up to Monterey and hooked up with McGraw Hill, the publishing company. And after I left Disney, I, I went into teaching art to children oh. and so McGraw-Hill had buildings all over the country, and the president, who is my best friend now, he decided he wanted to put money back into the arts because the schools were cutting art. And so he was happy to find me that I knew display and that I could teach children. And I had a, about a 23-year contract with them, teaching kids all over the country and then decorating their corporate offices with the student work. Nice. So teaching art, yeah, became, I said, I always did artwork for children. Now I get to do artwork with children. And uh, I worked for the boys and girls clubs up there and ended up doing donor walls with marble and glass. And I'm actually in the middle of redoing another one for them. So I continue to teach and do projects that are uh, architectural or have to do with buildings. And uh, it just keeps going on.
3: Fantastic! It's great. That's great. Mm-hmm.
0: I know I've gone through your uh, your website, and and I, I will I commend you on your your photography over in Europe that you did. I, I recognize uh, uh, Rotenberg, definitely. I was there just this past uh-huh. summer, and uh, you have well, some beautiful alpine shots. So beautiful stuff. And I'm sure yeah, but, how. Go ahead.
1: No, I was just say that traveling. You know, for me, that was a second love. First was to work at Disney. Second was to travel and see the world. So, The,
3: uh, the Tahitian yeah. art here
1: is just stunning. Oh, well, thank you. That, because of my trips with the airlines, I, in my life, I always heard of Bora Bora. And I said, before I die, I must go to Bora Bora. <laughs> so I went and they were making these beautiful Tahitian wraps uh, called Pareo's they would not tell me how they were making them and i was determined to figure it out (laughs) so i came home and i said well they're french so i'm going to start with french dyes and i figured out how they were made and i I just think they're amazing and they're kind of a natural thing that happens with dyes and sun and plants and uh very exciting to to figure out how to do that
2: that's cool
1: is it kind of is it sort (laughs) of like batik or I mean, I it's, won't have you uh, spill your secrets. <laughs> no, I can't spill a secret, but it has to do with the sun developing the color. Okay. And you, you use natural plants and dyes and uh, it, it's just kind of magical. Uh, I'm into ceramics and I love doing Raku, if anybody knows or familiar with that. It's that, that magical thing that happens when you put things together and then fire or sun or water gotcha. kind of takes takes
2: it over and right? turns
1: it into something. Yeah, you can't even imagine what you're going to get. But as long as you have a good sense of design and color, then anything works. And it's always a big surprise to the artist what comes out of their own hands. You know.
2: Oh, that's so cool. I like that. Yeah. You know, that aspect of just fate <laughs> letting yeah having its thing. You,
1: yeah, you have enough skill, you know the materials, and if you got a sense of color, design, and shape, then you just let it happen. And oftentimes when you start to do any art, you never know where it's going to go, and it takes you there. And you just, you have to be willing to go where the art wants to go. Wow. Well, I think that that
2: describes your career in a nutshell. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> it's it's been long and winding and taking me places i never dreamed yeah so.
2: and and you took us places through that artwork that we never dreamed too so we we That's thank true. you for that
1: great great i'm glad to do that
0: so jim I, I really appreciate your time tonight i mean this has been you know so much information and then you've you know fulfilled a lot of our burning questions that we've had out there and Um, I think all of our listeners and all of us here, you know, really, really thank you for your time. It's a a wonderful chat. And, uh, you know, hopefully maybe we can meet up someday and uh, share some of our, you know, wonderful Epcot ephemera with you and souvenirs and all Um, sorts of stuff that we got.
1: That would be great.
0: Todd's being modest. You'll be at the top of our invite
1: list the next time
3: we, we plan an
1: Epcot event. So Well, it's a mutual admiration. I love what you guys are doing, and you're keeping the story alive, and, and that's what history is about. So
3: well, thank you, know, you
1: for what you're doing.
3: So much of the big Imagineer names are attached to these projects, and stories like yours get to share with, really, there are thousands of fans out there of this stuff. Uh, Mm. and, and, and it's only in recent years that guys like you, uh, are becoming known to people that, Hey, they worked on this really cool piece of stuff that you love. Right.
1: I'm just saying, it's wonderful that people want to know, you know, at the time, everything was done by Walt Disney. Right. And for those of us working, we're like, yes, well, we know that, but (laughs) we're doing it. Nobody knows who we are. And it's nice that. (laughs) It's all coming out now, and the secret is out. Yep.
0: yep. And I think a lot of Imagineers, you know, who worked at the time frame and sculptors like yourself are like, hey, you know, I've got these pictures. I'm I'm going to share them. You know, there's yeah. Uh, and, and we're we're seeing more and more people share the stories and the photos and 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 what you know what they did. Uh, and like you said, yeah, it is important to to keep this history alive. And um, you know, there's a lot of people out there that Epcot and and the time that you spent in the you know, in Walt Disney world and working on that remember these attractions and they're, they're deeply ingrained in their personal memories. Um, so right. hearing about them again, just, you know, is it's all nostalgic and it brings that memory yeah. back for them.
2: Oh yeah. And you're also inspiring the next generation of Imagineers that are going to come well, in it. to do. And, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and as I teach kids, you know, I get to tell them my story and then inspire them to dream and know that you can do what it is you dream about. That's right. Uh, a little aside. When I was asked to speak at Harriet's funeral, uh, Marty Scalar was a speaker also. And when I finished, he said, Jim, you're a great storyteller and you've got a good speaking voice. Have you done voice work? I said, well, little things here and there. He goes, I'm going to put you in touch with our people. So he put me in touch with the people in the studio that do the voice work for the parks and even some of the cartoons and wherever they need voices. So I'm now working with them trying to put something together to be able to do voice work for them for the park so
0: nice oh wow very cool well you yeah, you will buddy. return and and uh, that's awesome you, <laughs> you, you could go. be
3: Definitely. you you'll be you'll be Marty Sklar's last hire
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know you what go. I suggest I, I suggest you do is you know you come up with, uh, with with a pen name I think midge onras would be great <laughs> it's just it's just like <laughs> you know your name backwards <laughs> it, would, it would work perfectly <laughs> I think
1: that could be good. I'll yeah, that, that
0: way you perfect. get it in audio, audio wise. One other sculpture right. question for you. I forgot to ask earlier, sure. just because we are trying to find whoever came up with it. Do you know anything about the main sculpture at the beginning of uh, in, in the entrance to uh, Epcot in front of Spaceship Earth, uh, the the pyramid fountain or, or uh, oh, spires, lucite spires? Yeah, the oh, fountain. The Do you know anything about who? Yeah, who created that or anything about that?
1: No, I don't. I have a friend I'll ask and let you know what I find.
0: Cause okay, that would be great. Um,
1: I thought you were going to mention the Spaceship Earth entrance, which I also worked on what was to look like a time machine when you get on the ride for Spaceship Oh, Earth. yeah, yeah, you're going around. So I I worked on that model, and uh, then as you went up, there were images that you were being taken back in time right. to know where mankind started, so... And that those strobe
0: effects those strobe effects are still going as of today.
1: So 30-some <laughs> well, years later. That's right. That's right.
3: Well, well, we'll have you down to Florida sometime and ride Spaceship Earth with you so we can all experience hey, it together. Yeah. That's right. The, the, what, the last bit of your work still in
1: the park. Yeah. That's right. <laughs>
3: it's
1: still there. That's good. That's cool. Well, it was great meeting you guys. I feel like we're old friends and uh, someday we'll meet in person. That's yeah.
3: great. I'll I'll crash on your couch next time I'm in Florida, California.
1: <laughs> hey, I'm in Santa Barbara now. It's not too bad. Beautiful. Uh, Beautiful. We're all coming then.
3: <laughs> three th- th- three of us live the house. <laughs> three of us live in places with a winter. So
1: Yeah, exactly. So anything warm is good. I know when to expect you then. Yeah. Got it. You got it. All right. So,
0: well, Jim, thank you very much for your time again. I really appreciate it, and uh, uh, we'll we'll be in touch. So, thank you, everybody, awesome. uh, for listening. And uh, Jim, thanks, thanks a lot.
1: Great. Take care. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.
3: Follow Todd McCartney and RetroWDW on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at RetroWDW. For all things Retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise, visit us on the web at RetroWDW.com. On Twitter, follow our web designer, Jason Bartell of Deepwater Studios, at JasonDWS. Our announcer, Andre Gardner, at Andre Gardner. And follow our hosts, Hal Bowers, on Twitter and Instagram, at GoAwayGreen and on the web at KingdomOfMemories.com. For JT Couser on Twitter, at LS1JT. On YouTube at Rubber City Motoring. And on the web at RubberCityMotoring.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at Brian P. Miles.